You can go ahead and pull out your Bible. Um, this morning, we're going to kind of be jumping around in Scripture a lot, so you might want to have your, um, your flipping hands ready because you'll be turning pages. We're going to start, though, in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. It's on 944 in the Pew Bibles. So when Paul talked to me about preaching this week, when they, they were going to be gone, um, there's always this anxiety because uh, I'm not going to be continuing in, Rome, in Exodus. Sorry, in Romans. I am going to be in Romans. Um, we're not going to be continuing in Exodus this morning. Um, and so I always have this pang of like, ugh, when I have to do a standalone message because I never really know um, what to talk. It's a lot easier for Paul to say, hey, this is what you're going to preach on. Here's the title, and here's the message, or here's the, the scripture. Go to town. All right? But as I prayed about it and thought about it, um, looked at where we were coming up in Exodus at this point, um, I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to use the guts of a message that I preached this last summer um, to our summer staff. And I thought it was appropriate because um, we're going to take a time to pause. We're pausing in our series for this one week. Um, and I want us as a people to take time to pause this morning to reflect on what God is doing and what God has done. Um, and, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but as we walk through Exodus, we've seen God faithfully bring his people out of Egypt and faithfully stay with them, not leaving them and not forsaking them. And I want us to reflect on how he has done that for us today too. Um, even this morning as I was sitting during prayers of the people and Breck was as squirrely as ever, just rolling under the pew, probably bumping into Kyle's legs, um, bouncing between Sarah and I, I just kept saying, be still, Breck, be still. And it struck me that that's probably much like God and us, saying, just be still. Stop what you're doing. Pause. What you think is important isn't as important as me. And so that's what we're going to focus on. Oftentimes, uh, when we come into worship, it's not always for the right reason. By an honest show of hands, how many of you have woke up on a Sunday morning and thought, man, the last thing I want to do is get out of bed and go to church? <laughs> but going to church helps you get out of bed, right? Okay, good. We've all been there, right? And even on a, on a morning that we do get out of bed, sometimes we're thinking, oh, I want to get to church because I want to see so-and-so. I want to get to church so I can have a conversation. I want to get to church um, so I can sing some really great songs. Or even, I want to get to church because I need to check it off my religious checklist for the week. Right? We don't always prepare for worship in the right way. We come in with our own expectations and our own wants even out of it. We need to take time before worship on any Sunday morning to prepare our hearts for an encounter with an awesome God who loves us and who desires our worship. So this morning, I'm going to encourage you to pause your life to hear God. Romans 8, 18 to 25, I'm going to read that. Future glory. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I'm going to read verse 25 again. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. When's the last time you've really waited for anything with patience? We live in a a very have-it-now world, right? But what I I want you to think of something right now, actually. Kind of, if you need to close your eyes, do that. Picture something that you've desired for a long time, all right? It, It could be something that you like to use to relax. It could be a new TV. It could be a car. It could be whatever, all right? Something that you've desired for a while. I'm going to share with you mine. Mine is, is a bike. You guys all know that I enjoy riding bikes, right? And um, in the last year and a half, I've really desired a new bike. And so for a long time, I've been saving. Um, I've, I've got a jar that my kids and Sarah made for me that has a bike around it with a little bow on top that's like my little saving jar, right? And every penny that I've had extra has gone into that. And I've saved and I've saved. And during that time, my, I, I waited. <laughs> and it, it was hard. I would be online every night looking at bikes, checking the, the used ads, and looking at my typical online bike shops to see who's running sales, right? But all that time, that, that desire, that anticipation was building. And I was getting excited. And um, finally, one day, I found a sweet bike. Um, you may have seen it outside when I ride it here. Um, it's fantastic. But um, that's besides the point. The waiting is what I want to focus on. That waiting, that building anticipation. And I want you to think that that object, that thing that you've desired, how is that waiting for you? Was that waiting easy? Was it something you enjoyed? Did you feel that like rising anticipation or do you just want it right now? Because I just want to use it. I'll be better when I have that or this or whatever it is. So... Waiting can be hard, but often it's in that waiting that that our character is solidified, right? It's in that waiting that forms who we are. We desire things. It's part of our sinful nature. But as we sit here today, as we proclaim us as Christians, as we proclaim our hope being in Christ and the cross, we wait for something better than what we can see. As I was anticipating my new bike, I was looking at pictures, I was going to bike shops, I was seeing what size fit me, I could see the object I desired. But we have a hope in something that we cannot see. And what is hope? Hope is not just... I wasn't hoping for a bike, let me put it that way. I desired a bike, I wanted a bike, I didn't hope for a bike. Hope is something better. Hope is something bigger. And our hope is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. He is the biggest. <laughs> he is the best. My bike, any of my bikes can go away. I um, 
as I reflected on this section of my message, Job kept popping into my head. My friends could turn on me. I could lose my family. Um, I could lose you guys. But my hope will always remain rooted in Christ. And I need to patiently wait for that redemption. We hear in this, in this piece of scripture that creation longs for redemption. Creation. Have you ever been outside and just watched the trees sway? Felt the breeze? Fall is a beautiful time for this because you can see the leaves falling. You, you actively see seasons changing. Creation longs for redemption. And, and I hope you feel that. And how much more does God love us? And how much more did he send his son for us? So now what? Now, as we live in that tension of what's to come, do you pause your life? I think we can all fairly say that we're busy people. We have um, obligations to employers or employees. We have obligations to family, whether you're a sibling, whether you're a son or daughter, um, husband, father, right, wife. We all have some sort of obligation to family. We all have things that, that we think are really important that we have to get done. But I wonder how often in our life we step back from those things and really hit the pause button and just kind of take inventory and take stock of where we're at currently, where God has us placed. Some moments in, in ministry history came to my mind as I was pondering that. And what I saw was often, either before or after, these really big moments in mystery in the Bible, ministry in the Bible, um, people were caused, called to pause. Before, some, before God really worked on something, before we saw big change, people stepped back. Um, go to 1 Kings 19. It's around page 301. It's not around, it's on page 301. <clears throat> We're going to read about Elijah. So as we pick up in 19, verses 1 to 18, Elijah had just um, completely embarrassed and killed the prophets of Baal. Um, he taunted them. It was quite an amazing working of God. Uh, and now he's called to wait patiently on the Lord. Uh, he's also running for his life, but he's waiting patiently. So Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, 
Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out, stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great, and behold, the Lord, there we go, sorry. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go return on, the way, on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel the king over Syria, Jehu the son of Nimshi, and you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Melah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So we see a big change coming. God's about to move in Israel. But before that, he called his last prophet to pause, to go to a mountain and to wait. When Elijah paused, God provided. He provided food and strength for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Elijah heard God's still small voice when he was alone and quiet. Elijah was probably scared, but still he waited with patience. And again, God provided himself. And I love last week when Paul talked about God's greatest provision is himself. And in this time, we see God doing just that. He's providing Elijah's every need through himself. Jesus, too, paused often. <laughs> Before starting ministry, he went to the desert. Uh, turn to Matthew 4. It's on um, 809. Matthew 4, 1 to 11. It says, Then Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, 
and on their hands they, were, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. After 40 days and nights of fasting, Jesus then faced the devil. <laughs> he paused in the wilderness. He was waiting on God's strength to be tempted. After he fed 5,000, he retreated to the mountains. Um, John 6. Page uh, 891. John 6:15. Perceiving then they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. That verse is always really interesting to me because if it was me, if I knew people were coming to make me king, I'd probably be like, sweet, bring it on, right? But Jesus withdraws. He goes to the mountain to, to be by himself, to be in communi um, communication in prayer with the Father. He knows what's important. He knows it's not his glory even at that point that he's seeking because he could have easily taken that kingship and had that worldly desire fulfilled, but he didn't. And before his death, he goes to the garden, uh, Luke 22, 39 to 46. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he, was t and he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Right until the end, Jesus prayed, Not my will, but yours. Recognizing that power of solitude prayer, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And now we're walking through Exodus. We see God pausing the life of an entire nation in the wilderness, taking them out of Egypt. He's preparing them for what he has next. We've seen God perform amazing miracles to help his people not just survive in the wilderness, but grow deeper in their trust for him. So again, I, I thought... How much of this is God's timing? <laughs> that in this standalone message, when Paul told me about that, I, I was excited because we can pause. 
We're at the point in Exodus' story that we've seen the Israelites pause. But when they pause, we don't see them praising God all the time, right? We see nervousness. We see fear. We see grumbling about water, grumbling, grumbling about Pharaoh's army pursuing them, grumbling about food. And my question is, when God gives us a break, when we have that moment to pause, do we grumble about what we don't have? Or do we praise him for what he's given to us? It'd be really easy in the wilderness to be fearful. It's really easy in our lives to be fearful of the unknown, of what's to come. But God clearly tells us that he'll provide for us. (laughs) And we have no reason to fear. So do we focus on the negative or do we focus on him? Often when we pause, what we think is important, when we step back from those tasks in our life that we feel so strongly that have to get done, and instead we wait on God's timing, we too grow in our trust of his provisions. As we meet as a church family, what should we as a family do to pause and wait to hear God's voice? Pausing your life isn't just stopping everything. In fact, God doesn't want us to just stop everything. There may be those moments that he calls you to solitary, those moments that he takes you out of your routine, out of your daily life to specifically um, prepare you for something. But oftentimes, it's not just stopping everything. It's just stopping the things that you think are more important than God. So what do you have to replace in your life What do you have to remove from your life that that seems more important than God right now? And we all have them. They, They might be something really big. It might be something like a job. It might be something like at night, um, right before bed, instead of turning on the TV, opening up your Bible. It might be something uh, like when you come to church, taking 10 minutes before you leave your house to prepare to encounter God, to prepare your heart to enter into community um, as we praise him, as we worship him, as we pray together, as we hear his word proclaimed. We all have things that we tend to place higher than God. And when you step back, when you can really examine your life, it makes it so much clearer where your priorities need to lie. I love it. Um, from Mike, I'll get random texts from him at random times. It might be 6 o'clock in the morning. It might be sometime during the day. And it, it usually goes something along these lines. Hey, I've been reading this in the Bible, and what do you think of this? What do you think of this word? How do you think God meant this? And although I don't often reply in a timely manner, sorry, Mike, um, those are moments that cause me to pause in my life. I'll be going about my daily routine, getting ready for work, getting ready to do something, whatever, and I'll get this text and I'll read it, and then I will. I'll flip open my Bible app, and I'll read what he's talking about, and it'll cause me to pause. And I love that, because without Mike's texts, I would just get stuck in my routine. I would just continue doing what I was doing. But it's cause for reflection on God's word, and so thank you for that. (laughs) Um... And that's why we are a church body. 
so that we can have people that ask those random things at random times, seemingly random, that do nothing but sharpen our iron, that make us stronger, that get us back in the Word, that refocus us on Christ. So when I preached this, um, it was the, the 10th week of summer. It was right before week 10. It was the last Sunday night worship. Um, and our Sunday night worships at camp are for our summer staff. They're open to everyone. Uh, and we usually walk through some sort of series. And our series this last summer was The Art of the Christian Walk. Uh, and in The Art of the Christian Walk, we focused on um, eight kind of big pieces of what you do in your Christian walk. Not, these don't define you, these don't make you a Christian, but they are things you can do in your Christian walk that will grow you closer to God. And as I was reflecting on those things this morning, there were five that really stood out to me. Five things that, that we can focus on when we pause. And before that, though, we have to remember that these things don't define us. What defines us is our need for Christ and our actively pursuing his grace by patiently waiting on his timing, remembering that there's nothing we can do to earn his favor, but it is given to us freely. So the first one, and I didn't make slides for these because it didn't come to me until last night, so I apologize, but um, the first one is God's word. Will you spend time digging into God's word, pausing your life, 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, a half hour a day to really ingest what he says to us. Um, Brent and I have been getting together um, for a few years now. And um, the, what we're doing now, over the summer, we took 16 weeks and individually we read through a chapter of Romans a week, uh, took notes on it, answered kind of the who, what, when, where, why questions of each chapter. And now uh, in the fall, we're getting together semi-weekly um, and we're taking a chapter a week together and just discussing it and really pulling it apart and saying, what does this mean? How does this apply to our lives now? Um, and Romans can be kind of a confusing book, but it's beautiful because it paints such a broad stroke of the gospel. And I love those times. I love the prep for those times because it, again, gets me into the word. And I love the discussion of, well, what do you think of this? And how does this look in your life? And it grows Will you make time to dig into God's word, either individually or with someone or communally on Sunday mornings? The second one is humility. Will you show humility in your Christian walk, which humility being the antithesis of pride, um, pride makes it about us, right? It, makes, it, it asks the me question. Is this best for me? Is this the best choice for me? Humility asks, is this best for others? Humility puts others before ourselves. It recognizes that the goal of our life should be that we are made less and God should be made more. The third one is prayer. Will you be diligent in daily personal prayer and active in at least weekly community prayer? I love prayers of the people, again, because I get to hear what's on the heart of my family. And those are things that, that we pray for then continuously through, throughout the week. Um, personal prayer is pivotal. Our lives should be prayer, right? So I really want to 
encourage you to participate in things like Second Tuesday Prayer, uh, Date with the Beloved, uh, the Lent series that we've done the last couple of years. Make it a priority in your life. Pause those other things so that you can actively participate in community prayer and actively participate in personal prayer. Not just those moments of, please God, let me pass this test, or please God, let me get this task right. But those intentional prayers that when you really pray, when you really dig into it, you, you feel God's presence, right? It's not just that asking. It's not the cosmic vending machine. You know, you're putting your quarter in, getting your treat out. But it's that really praying that your will would become aligned with his will. So it, it takes a backseat to your priority and puts God in charge. Fourth one is community. Will you be intentional about being part of a healthy community? And some pieces of a healthy community include things like not gossiping, about supporting one another, about praying together, about being active and honest in small group communities. So not being the person that's divisive, that, that just likes to have that attention on you, but being a person who is intentionally building healthy community. That will then grow and probably separate and then start enfolding more people, and that will grow and separate, right? And healthy community can spread like wildfire when it's truly healthy. And the fifth one is obedience. Will you be obedient even and especially when it hurts, when it's not comfortable? Um, as we talked about this before the summer, uh, someone who worked at camp, she was the program coordinator, Meg. Some of you may know her. Um, she had a definition of obedience that I really liked. Obedience is doing what you're told, when you're told, without grumbling. So it's what you're told, when you're told, without grumbling. And um, that's kind of become a benchmark for me in the last couple months. Okay, I feel this call, or I've been asked to do this task. Am I going to do it? Or am I going to prolong not doing it because I'm not really sure? And am I going to grumble about it? Am I going to be like, oh my gosh, Kyle, can you believe I have to go drain the porta potties next month? Because I've had to, and that's gross. All right? But it's doing what you're told, when you're told, without grumbling about it. Obedience. And these five things should challenge you every single day. These five things should help be compass guide points of your life, of your Christian walk. And these would be five great talking points for you and an accountability partner. Something that's, that's been on my heart since last week's message as well was Paul's question about who is your Jethro? Who do you seek wise counsel from? Who are those people in your lives that can speak into your life and before your defenses go up and say, oh, that's a stupid idea, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, <clears throat> you actually listen to them. Those Jethros that speak wise counsel into your life. <laughs> yeah, this is the other thing I thought about is uh, in Toy Story. Um, which one? Is, is it the first one that they move in? That they're moving? And they, they have to have their moving buddies? Um, and so when I thought about that person that speaks wise counsel into your life, there's a, a line in the, the Toy Story movie 
where Woody goes, if you don't have one, get one. And that's what I want to say to you. If you don't have that person in your life that speaks wise counsel, get one. Because those people will truly enrich your life. So as you go, as we leave this church, we are stepping back into a world where you are inundated with a 24-hour news cycle, right? You um, can find out anything, anytime on the internet. You can turn to channels that all they do is talk incessantly, seemingly about the same thing over and over, but they call it news, right? And, and we want to be in the loop. We want to know what's next. We want to know what's happening because that makes us seem like we're knowledgeable. But I encourage you this morning to take the Apostle Paul's lead in claiming to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Putting aside that, that gossipy news, uh, putting aside the things of this world that we think are important and claiming to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. That's the hope of our salvation in Christ alone. We don't have a knowledge of heaven aside from what we read in the Bible. So we have a hope in a God of promises, a hope in the unseen, and we're called to wait with patience. And the beautiful thing is we know that we serve a God who doesn't break promises. Uh, turn with me to Luke 10. Uh, page 869, uh, 868, sorry. We're going to start at verse 1. <clears throat> so this is when Jesus sends out the 72 others. Uh, and we're going to, uh, I think we'll just read it straight through. We might skip around on this a little bit. Starting at verse 1, though. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent, him, sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. They were preparing the way. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. <clears throat> Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. But do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is sent before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on, the, on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then we're going to jump down to the return of the 72 others, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The sending of the 72 others 
um, has always been an intriguing one to me. That Jesus sends ahead these 72 people to prepare his coming to these towns. And every week, we are sent out. We are sent from this church as lamb among wolves. And as you're sent, you need to remember that we have the power of Christ in us. Jesus prepped the 72 others to go. They were sent in his strength and in the hope of him. Week to week, we are given tools to talk about who Christ is. One of the things that I love about Missio Day is the time and preparation that, that Paul or whoever comes up here puts in to the presentation of the word. It's not something we take lightly. And you can tell, even if you look at the time span of our Sunday morning worship, the chunk of time of gospel presentation, of reading from the word, of preaching, um, is usually relatively long. But I love that. It puts an emphasis on the word. It puts an emphasis on preparation of us as the flock to go out. But my question there is, do we go out and do that faithfully each week? In our small group conversation this week, and Pat, I loved your request because I was going to reflect on that conversation anyway. Um, We talked about being in a community that is honest and where we have people to hold us accountable. People that are going to speak truth into your life even when it's hard for you to hear and probably hard for them to say. Take advantage of that. Don't, Don't pass it by. When you feel it laid on your heart to say something to someone, say it. Be obedient in those times. In our meeting on Thursday night in our small group, Matt said something that stuck with me, Preview did. Um, He said often he prefers to sit in distraction. And those three words, sit in distraction, really were like a punch in the gut to me. Because I realized that's exactly what I do. (laughs) I come home from work, and I let myself be distracted by playing with my kids. Breck's big thing lately is to play marina. So we set up a pillow, we make like a little marina, we have a seaplane and some boats, and we play fire and rescue. And we go, and I could play that, we play that for hours at night. It's really fun. But I'm distracted in those times. I'm distracted at night because I flip on the TV when my kids go to bed. Because I use the excuse that I just need to unwind. I just need to think about nothing, and I just need to unwind. Then why don't I just go to bed? (laughs) Sleep is the best way to unwind. It resets your brain, right? But no, I feel like TV is going to be the thing that does that for me. That's a load. So I sit in distraction rather than waiting to hear God's voice. Um, There's a band called 72 Others, and they have a line in one of their songs that says, if I'm not still... How can I hear you call? And if we're not still, if we're not willing to pause and really listen, how are we ever going to hear God's call in our life? So what do we need to go out and be bold for Christ as we're sent, when we receive that call, when we go, as we leave this place after we've been recharged this week, in the next six days, You don't need fancy stuff. The 72 others were were sent out with nothing. No money, no backpack, nothing. You don't need to have perfect words or speech. You don't need to have just 
I just need to plan the right thing to say to this person, and then they'll love Jesus. Look at Moses. Moses was really hesitant because of his speech impediment. He didn't want to go out and talk to people, but God used him, and God will use us. We don't have to have the perfect words planned. Even these pages of notes, I've written them down, but I don't always stick to them because God will give you the words. <laughs> when you are faithful, when you are in prayer, when you trust that his spirit lives in you, that will overflow out, and it'll overflow in your words. You don't need to be a perfect person to be used by God. Look at Paul. He was the biggest persecutor of the Christian church. And then he went on to write most of the New Testament. You do need to be fully reliant on Christ. You do need to be surrounded by a church family that recognizes that we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. But a church community then that strives to reflect Christ in how we live our lives. Prayer is key. Again, we need to pray to align our will with the Father's will who is in heaven so that our lives will more reflect Christ as we are led by the Spirit. Prayer isn't saying, God, I'm going to do this, so bless it. It's saying, God, what do I need to do? So some, some things we probably need to do before we go as we go, first we need to get over ourselves. We need to remember that it's not about us. We need to remember that being uncomfortable for Christ is far better than being comfortable for our own gain. As we go, we don't have to have it all together. But we do need to be honest about our shortcomings and have someone that will hold us accountability, accountable with those shortcomings. As we go... We have to be honest when we mess things up. Don't try and cover up our screw-ups, but own them, and then watch God use those mess-ups for his glory, because he will. We live in a pampered culture that thinks that if we just work hard enough, we can, we can do it. We can do anything, and that's simply not true. We have to remember that it is Christ in us, and through Christ in us, we can do all things. So go from this place this week and be bold for the Lord. Don't shy away from conflict. Don't shy away from sharing his name even though you think it might be hard or you think it might be awkward. And when we return from our labors for the Lord, be still. And rejoice not that the spirits are subject to us in his name, but that our names are written in heaven. That is where our hope is rooted, and that is what we should be anxiously and patiently waiting for. Go from the pl this place with the knowledge that you can't do life on your own, that you have to take time out and focus on that hope for, which, for the hope that, that is unseen and wait for it with patience, free from distraction, and do that in community. Do that with fellow believers to prepare to go out and share the gospel. So if we've heard about pausing our lives this morning for God, we wait, 
we hear his call, and then we go out and we serve him. It's, it's active. We get to talk about who Christ is. It's not a burden. It's not something that should be seen as hard. It's a privilege that God entrusts us to spread his gospel. But before we go this morning, I want us to pause as a church together. I want us to be preparing our hearts even now in confession of sin as we prepare to share in communion as a family. So we're going to be still. And if you have things that are laid on your heart that you want to share in quiet prayer or out loud, feel free to do that. And then after a time, we'll prepare for communion.